What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world, and whatever you're doing, right now you're also listening to my voice. This is the power of podcasts. The ability to communicate with your audience in an intimate and intentional way through audio. I'm B. Duncan, Senior Partnerships Producer at Intelligence Squared. We've been a world-leading forum for talks, debates and events for over two decades. And we also use our cutting-edge curation, creativity and editorial expertise to elevate your brand to new audiences with podcasting. Intrigued? To find out what we can do for your organisation, book into a free consultation with me today. Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships. Welcome to Intelligence Squared. I'm producer Catherine Hughes. In this episode of the podcast, we're joined by Mikhail Shishkin, one of the most celebrated living Russian novelists. In conversation with historian Victor Sebastian, Shishkin traces the roots of Russia's problems and asks, Will Russia continue its vicious cycle of upheaval and autocracy, or will its people find a way out of history? Mikhail is one of the most prominent Russian writers of his generation, and he's the only Russian author to have won all the three top prizes, uh, literary prizes in, in Russia, the Booker Prize, the bestseller, National Bestseller Award and the Big Book Prize. His novels, which include The Taking of Ismail and Maidenhair, brilliant books both, have won numerous international um, literary prizes and awards, and they've been translated into um, more than 30 languages. He's been a prolific journalist also, and he's written for international publications um, throughout the world, including the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, The Guardian here, and Le Monde. He has lived in in Switzerland since um, 1995 in exile. His father is Russian and his mother was Ukrainian, which gives him a particular insight into current issues and the current conflict in, in Ukraine. His latest book, My Russia, War or Peace, is a passionate cry about the state of his homeland. And it is a, a, a beautifully written book. So now I'll, I'll proceed to get into the heart of the matter and talk with Mikhail, whose book very skillfully traces the essential problem throughout Russian history, which has been an ever-repeating cycle of one ghastly despotism replaced by another equally ghastly. So I'll ask um, Ivankar how, how he thinks that began and why it has continued for hundreds of years. First of all, thank you very much for having invited me. So how did I come to this book? Actually, through my whole life. You, you cannot live in Russia without asking questions. Why? Why is it so different? Why is it so difficult just to join the world? Why is it so impossible to join the human civilization? And so you have to answer these questions just through the history, just learning what was before. 
how was it possible that Russia became this impossible part of the universe? And last 10, 15 years, I tried to read books written by the Western Russian experts explaining Russia. You see, the Western politicians, they have no idea of Russia. It's okay, yeah? It's normal. But to deal with Russia, they have to get some knowledge of Russia. And so they read the, or listen to Russian experts. And thanks to these experts, we are now in this catastrophe. We are now in this war, thanks to all people who were writing thick books explaining why, why we have to build bridges to Putin, to Putin's dictatorship. To build bridges to whom? To this criminal gang who took hostage the whole country? And so I wanted to write a book explaining Russia, explaining this war. And I wrote this book explaining Russia through the history and through the family history, my personal family history. Because if you just make a statement, yeah, in Russia, people are afraid of saying something. The silent, keeping silent is the strategy of survival for generations. It's true, but it's not enough. In the book, you have to show how it works. So just one example. In the book, I describe how it showed the strategy of survival, how it works, how it worked in my family. During the collectivization to uh, 1930, my grandma yeah, lived with her uh, husband, Mikhail Shishkin. I was named after him with two small children. One of the boys was my father. And so people with weapons came to take the cow. And all other peasants, yeah, all our people, they were, they, they kept silent. And my grandfather just started to shout, hey, what are you doing? Why do you take my cow away? I have two small children. I need the cow. He was arrested. He died in Gulag in Siberia. And so how it works. Other people survived while they just obeyed yeah, to the power and they survived. And who is against, who tries to speak, he ends in Gulag. My grandma, when she was old already, over 90, she was very, uh, she, she was blind already. She spent the whole days sitting in a dark room in the apartment of my father. And I just tried to call her, to call her per telephone to say, hey, babushka, my grandma, how are you? And for her, that day when her husband was arrested, it was repeating and repeating all the time. And then she started to talk to me on the telephone. Misha, Misha, why are they arresting you? I tried to explain to her, Babushka, Grandma, it's me, your Misha. But she couldn't, she was already in that, that day again and again, and she, <clears throat> she was shouting on the telephone, please, why do you take him away? We didn't do anything bad. Please, Misha, Misha. This is just, just the, the, the part of my book. I tried to explain how Russia works with the examples of my family story. Going way back generations before under Tsarism, things haven't changed that much. 
<laughs> it's just example of one family, but in Russia, every family yeah. has such stories, yeah, and repeats for generations. And uh, for me, it was very important to write this book and to explain to people, yeah, that we are making this the same mistake again and again. I mean, people in the West. I wrote this book not for Russians. Russians understand what is Russia mm -hmm. about. I wrote it for people here in the West who were so fond of Gorbachev. They were so fond of Putin. They had great hopes. I had great hopes only in <clears> the, uh, during the so-called August Putsch yeah, in 1991. Yeah, when the Soviet Union d disappeared, the Soviet Union collapsed. It was also my personal victory because I was on the barricades and uh, around the White House in Moscow. It was summer and I was teacher at that time and it was vacations. And when I came to the barricades, first I saw my guys, my, my boys from my class. They were 14, 15. And it was the, the, the happiest moment of my life. So I realized maybe I was not a bad teacher. I taught them to German grammar. <laughs> but besides German grammar, maybe I taught them some things which were more important than German grammar. And so it was our personal victory against this regime. And it was a time of great hopes because for me it was clear all the this bloody experience of Russian history must end it will be just the, the new beginning, our zero, and we will join the democratic countries. We will build a new democratic Russia. And these days, there were a lot of Western television companies on the streets of Moscow. And I remember uh, a German TV team just wanted to make interviews with Russians on the streets. And so they were happy that I could tell them some words in German. And I told them that I'm happy that my son, Misha, he is three years old. I'm happy that he will grow up in a free democratic Russia. Now all, all my children are in emigration, you see. It was the time uh, of disappointments after that, because from the very beginning, it went in a wrong way. In Russia, there were no Nuremberg trials against the Communist Party. There were no destalinization. Who were people in charge for building up the democratic society? People from KGB, people from the Communist Party. Can you imagine? Germany, 1945, the new beginning, but <laughs> who would be responsible for the building, for the introducing dem democracy in the afterward Germany? Gestapo. People from Gestapo, it would be impossible. But in Russia, it was the reality. So it was just the matter of time when the new dictatorship would be established. And uh, any dictatorship, just the nature of any dictatorship is to have enemies and to have a war. What we have now, we have all the world of enemies and we have the war. Sponsoring the show for this episode is Marquee TV. Marquee TV is a streaming service with a difference. It's bringing you the top tier of performing arts straight into your living room or onto your device. So think dance, theatre, music, anything you might find in the West End, Broadway, or maybe a cool little experimental space too, but saving you the cost of a few tickets as well. 
I've got happily a bit lost in their vast library of performances, exclusive interviews and behind-the-scenes content. Choreographer Jonathan Watkins' interpretation of George Orwell's classic 1984 was pretty cool, and I love the dance piece, Sutra, inspired by the skills of Buddhist Shaolin monks. And we've got a special treat for our listeners. Marquee TV offers three months of access for just 99 cents. That's right, three months for only 99 cents. With the code squared, simply visit marquee.tv and use the promo code squared to dive into the world of arts like never before. Bring the arts home with Marquee TV. The events calendar is filling up here at Intelligence Squared, and to create each one, we obviously rely on some brilliant guests and onstage talent. But behind the scenes, there's also a producer, a production team, and the budget in the mix too. You've got to keep an eye on all of that stuff in one place. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. And you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because it's super easy to get started. NetSuite exists in the cloud, you see. No hardware needed. So you're cutting IT costs too. That's why over 37,000 companies have already made the move. And now by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-the-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash squared. That's netsuite.com slash squared. netsuite.com slash squared. What is it specifically? You say that the West, Western experts got things hopelessly wrong, which I quite under, understand, and they misunderstood. What is it specifically we might have done to avoid where we are now if we'd had more understanding, if some, for example, the main, read the books? Yeah, the main mistake <clears throat> was made in the early 90s. The main mistake of the West was that they couldn't really help the new Russian democracy to be established in Russia. How should the West, democratic countries in the West, how should they help the new Russian Democrats? Because, you see, in Russia, it was time of possibilities. In the late Soviet Union, people were ready for a Western kind of democracy, Western art of democracy. Russians had no idea of law state, how democracy works. But they saw American movies, and they wanted also to have this democracy in Russia. But for them, it was all together. You see, like free elections and American cars and McDonald's and constitution. And so the Western democracies had just to show on their own example how democracy works. What is law state? Here we have laws. And if you break the law, you go to prison. Doesn't matter, are you Russians with citizenship or from America? It doesn't matter. This is the law. Don't break the law. In the 90s, I uh, used to work as an interpreter uh, here in Switzerland, also for Russians who, for new rich Russians who came with their dirty money to Switzerland to open the account. And I saw how this huge laundry for dirty money from Russia works. Lawyers, people from Swiss banks, they were all happy to get this dirty money and they were aware that this money is dirty, so they broke the law. And Russians realized what is democracy. Ah, if you have huge amount of money, there is no law state anymore. And so that was the main 
mistake of, of the West, because thanks to this absence of real democracy in the West, Russians started to build up their criminal, new criminal dictatorship in Russia. Without this helping from, from the West, it would not be possible. And they established a very specific criminal dictatorship with open borders. You see, they learned uh, from the mistakes of the previous dictatorship from the Soviet Union. I grew up in a prison. It was a country which was a prison behind barbed wire. It was impossible to leave the country because the power needed the slaves. We were all slaves of that Soviet power. And the, the new criminal dictatorship which came to in Russia, which arose in Russia in uh, late 90s, they, they, they didn't need people at all. They just sold oil and gas to the West, got the money. Why should they had to share the money with the population? No, they just took the money for themselves. That was the, the idea of the criminal dictatorship at that time. And so after that, when when the real dictatorship aroused, yeah, and how did it happen? You see, the dictatorship begins not with a dictator. It's impossible to imagine a guy here in Switzerland, in Bern, on the Bundesplatz, who would come and say, Swiss people, now I'm your dictator, listen to me. They would tell him, fuck off. That will be the end of Swiss dictatorship, yeah? But we have seen how dictatorship was established in Germany in 20s, in Russia in 90s. The dictatorship starts with the willing, with the longing of the whole population for the order. We had chaos, we had anarchy, and for people, the only way to the order was just a strong hand. It was with Hitler in this way, and Yeltsin re realized yeah, it was anarchy and chaos in the 90s, and Yeltsin realized he wants to be this strong hand, he wants to be the dictator, and he started this small, victorious war against Chechnya. His generals told him, oh, we will take Grozny in two hours. He was a loser. He lost this war. And so the next dictator, the next Tsar had to prove his legitimization by a victory. You see, in Russia, people in the West who read the Russian classical, they think the most important Russian questions are like eternal Russian damned questions are who is to blame, what is to be done, like the title of yeah. the uh, Russian cl classical novels. But these were eternal questions just for a small amount of readers. And 150 millions of peasants, they couldn't read. So for them, the main Russian question was, is the Tsar real or fake? Till now, this is the same main yeah. Russian questions. And you can prove it you only through the victory in a war. Stalin could kill millions and millions of people, but he won the war. He is the victorious Tsar. He proved to be the real Tsar. And the population in Russia, they still love him. Now, Gorbachev, he lost the war in Afghanistan. He lost the Cold War against the West. He is a fake Tsar. People hate him. People despise him till now. And so for his legitimization, the new Tsar Putin had to win the war. And we remember how he started this war, yeah, with the explosions in Moscow, 
houses, dwelling houses were just blown up in Moscow. A lot of people died. And it was for him the way to start the war against Chechnya. It was like genocide war. And then he had to prove his legitimization through the next victory, and was the annexation of Crimea. You remember 2014, all Russians were happy and were shouting, Krim Nash, Krim Nash, yeah, Crimea is ours. And after that, he had to prove his legitimization again and again with the small wars, with the great victories. And so he started this war in February last year because he was sure it will be just three days and a great success. But as every dictator, he lost the connection to the reality. If he had known the reality, he would never start this war, of course. But now we are in this war. I'm interested in what you said about Stalin, for example, that he may have killed millions of people, but people wanted a strong leader and the real Tsar, and he, and he represented it. What is it about Russia that people, or many, many people, the majority probably, revere this boss, this Vosh, this the strong leader? Why, why, why is that recurring, recurring in Russian history? As, as almost part of a, of a, um, a surf mentality amongst many Russians. You write about this very interesting yeah. in your book. Um, I, I tried to explain talk, this. I wonder if you could talk about it a little bit, because I think it's a crucial thing about understanding Russia. It's from the history. We have just different history. Russia was the part mm -hmm. of this mm -hmm. golden horde and remained the golden horde. And this is just the social system which uh, depends only on the power and has no other idea, only the power. And so people who live in Russia, they cannot have their just private life. Because if they want to achieve something, you have to join the, the gang. They have to join this power fighting. It's a, Russia is a great country for criminals yeah who can become a president to be just on top of this criminal pyramid like Putin and Russia is very bad country for people who just want to have their private life to have family to have an interesting job because earlier or later they will have to make the choice do I join the gang the huge gang yeah, of, of criminals or should I just be against them? Should I protest? And all people who protest, they end very bad, in a very bad way. One year ago, when this invasion started, people in the West, they couldn't understand. They just couldn't understand why there are so few protests in Russia. Just several people, yeah, a dozen people went to the streets to protest against the war. And they were arrested. They are all in prison now. And we could explain it through this survival strategy I was talking about. People are afraid. But then September, October, the mobilization came. And hundreds, thousands of people went to the war, killing Ukrainians and dying. And it has nothing to do with the survival strategy. They are going to, to be killed. 
they are going to sacrifice their lives. How would you explain this? And I explain <laughs> this in, in my book, you see. I am the person in the 21st century. The whole development of humankind from people who ate each other till constitution, till democracy, it makes the human person of, of our time, contemporary human person. It means I have the responsibility for the decision, what is good, what is evil. And if I see that my people, my country are evil, I will be against my people, I will be against my country. But the majority in Russia, they mentally, psychologically, they live in the past. They identify themselves with a tribe. Our tribe is always good, we are good, and other tribes are our enemies. They're evil. They want to destroy us. They want to kill us. So the whole life is just our fighting for our home country against the fascists from the NATO, fascists from Ukraine. And every dictator misused these patriotic feelings. Stalin did this. Now the Russian Putin's propaganda misuses this feeling. And people are going, they think, they are going to defend their homeland from the Nazis, like our grandfathers did in, in, in the Second World War. And uh, I told you about my father, yeah? His father, my grandfather, was killed by Stalin. And my father, with 18, went to the war fighting the Nazis. And he was absolutely <clears throat> sure that he is fighting fascism, defending his own country. It was impossible for him maybe to realize that he was defending not his home country, but the regime of Stalin who killed his father. He and all his generations, his comrades, after the war, they were sure that they uh, gave freedom to Europe, to Eastern Europe. It was their victory against the fascism, but they didn't realize that they brought to Europe, to Eastern Europe, another kind of fascism, the Soviet fashion, that they were fascists too. It was impossible for them to, to, to accept, to realize. The same thing is now with the people, with Russians who support this war. This is a civilization gap. They, they, they think we, we Russians are, are good, and they, <laughs> they, everywhere in the world, they won't just destroy us because we are good. How would you explain to these people that they are fascists? Would they accept this? It's impossible for human psychology to accept this. No, we want all, uh, everybody wants to be good. You see, in the West, it's also maybe a mistake. People think uh, the problem is with propaganda. Yes, of course, with war propaganda in Russia. But they think if there would be alternative sources of information, it would help. In Russia, in the last, I don't know, 20, 15 years, we, we had these alternative sources of information. We had the oppositional TV channel, Rain, Telekanal Dost. Yeah. We had Echo Moskvy, Echo Moscow. We had a lot of oppositional websites. So till the beginning of this invasion, now in Russia, we have nothing. And people could choose between these two kinds of truth. As example, can you imagine, you have a son, and your son was killed in Ukraine, and one truth, 
your son is a fascist. Ukrainians wanted to, to, to be independent, to, to build up a democratic society. They wanted just their freedom. And your son came as a fascist, as aggressor, and killed people there. And you are the father of a fascist. Shame on you. The other truth, your son is a hero. The fascists there wanted to, to kill our Russian culture. They wanted to kill our children. They wanted to, to, to destroy our homeland. He, he is a real hero. And you are the father of a hero. You must be proud of him. What truth would you choose? So how can the cycle be broken of despotism replacing despotism? How can we de-Putinize now, for example? You talk about de-Putinizing. De it's absolutely essential for the future of your country. How is it going to happen? It must happen. But would it happen? We have some conditions. We have seen how it happened in Germany after the Second World War. We had the denazification. We had Nuremberg trials. The, the Nazi war machine was destroyed totally. Would it depend on Russia losing the war in Ukraine? Was, Russia, would that be the start of, Russia, of, a new, of a new Russia? Yeah, Russia will lose the war anyway. And I am very happy for Ukrainians. I wish the victory for, for them fighting the common enemy. And I try to do everything for, to, to support their fight. And they will win. And uh, the whole world will help them to build up what Russian army destroyed. And uh, they will build huge wall on, on the Russian border. But what will happen behind the walls? So I'm not optimistic at all. Look, who will destroy the Nazi state in Russia? Nobody. It's impossible. Who will organize the Nuremberg trials against war criminals? In Germany, they were Americans. Yeah, They were allies. In Russia, who, who, who will <clears throat> do it? The war criminals themselves? Who will organize the free selection? The same as Kadyrov, or the same governors who organized the false election, or hundreds and hundreds of thousands of frightened teachers, these women were falsifi falsifying the elections in Russia because the elections were to took part at school, they were situated at schools. We have to fulfill the, these conditions. Democracy needs critical mass of citizens who know what democracy is, how it works. Because now, now in Russia, we have just these slaves, slaves of the regime. And I told you that th this regime learned from the mistakes of the previous Soviet regime. The borders were open all the time. Medvedev, when he was a president, he said the famous words, everybody who is unhappy with us, just go, just leave. Borders are open. And in the last 20 years, millions and millions of people, high-educated people, they left because they didn't see any future for, for them and their children in Russia. Look how smart was it for, from the regime. During the mobilization, 
they didn't close the borders. And everybody was telling, why, why? So, so many young people yeah. just le left Russia instead of going to the army. But <laughs> can you imagine these hundred thousands of young people who hate Putin, who hate this regime, and they have Kalashnikovs yeah, in the arm. <laughs> it would be an army <laughs> inside Russia who would be willing uh, fight, would, fighting would, the regime. Would, would that be 1917 all over again? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. So, and now this emigration, it is very bad for Russia's future, but it's very good for the regime. So who will make all the changes in Russia? For example, can you imagine the oppositional leaders now living in London or in the United States, in Vilnius? They would come to Russia and they will participate in the free elections. And for the voters, they are just traitors. They are traitors, yeah? Foreign agents. And if there would be free election, they people would have to choose between a foreign agent and traitor and a hero fighting who fought in Ukraine against the Nazis, yeah, and who would promise the order and foreign agents who would promise democracy again, yeah? So people would say, no, no, no democracy again. We have seen what is this, enough, enough. We have, we want to have order. And Russia, history would bite its tail again. And the West, the West would, you see, stretch the hand to the new Russian Putins. After the war, I mean, after the defeat in this war, the, the war in Ukraine will last till Putin is in the Kremlin. This is mm -hmm. the, the system. It cannot change. He cannot give up. Then we don't know how and when. Maybe in two weeks, maybe in two months, maybe in last, next year. But one day he will disappear. You know, he has just three possibilities to disappear. He would die a natural death. His friends would help him. <laughs> his best friends, his closest friends, or he would flee to the Central African Republic where Cheveka Wagner prepared the bunker for him. Anyway, he disappears. And in Russia, the struggle, the fight for the power would start. And people fighting for the power, they would not care for Crimea or Donbass. It doesn't matter whom Crimea belongs to Russia or to Ukraine, because there will be no Russia anymore. The Russian Federation now is pregnant with the new states like uh, the late Soviet Union. The la last empire in Europe would collapse, disintegrate. All the national republics will flee into the independence, like Chechnya, Tatarstan, Yakutin, and so on. And uh, I don't think that the new Putins in these new states, they would be happy to introduce some democratic changes. No, they will have to prove their legitimizations through the victory. And now it will be not the victory over Ukraine, but it will be a victory against another Putin. And the West will just make handshakes with these new Putins because they would promise to take control over the nuclear weapons. And uh, Siberian will go to China anywhere. Now, she was in Moscow. I'm sure they were discussing this. And you see, actually, uh, Siberia belongs to China already now. Nobody knows this, but millions and millions of hectares, they were given to Chinese enterprises for 99 years. 
And there are a lot of Chinese firms and companies working there. And maybe you have read and you have seen to this visit of Chinese president to Moscow, they published new maps, geographical maps, yeah. where the <laughs> northern territories yeah, uh, belong to China, which is now actually the territory of Russia around the Baikal Sea. But we cannot imagine the situation now there. It belongs everything to China. My friend, she's an artist living in Zurich, but she is from Irkutsk. She went to Irkutsk before pandemic, so it was 2018. And she came back with such eyes that there are just, everything is Chinese already. She wanted to buy something in a shop. They didn't want to sell her anything, just go away. You're Russian. All schools in Siberia, children are taught Chinese language. They want this. A lot of Russian women want to, to marry Chinese guys, not Russian. And we know that in China, this is the huge problem. For a very long time, they allowed, it was allowed just to have one child in the mm -hmm. family. It was the policy of the state. And so they all wanted to have just boys. And now they have a lot of boys. They are now grown up young men and they want to marry. But they miss 30 million women, 30 million women. So they will find them in Siberia. You've made a very grim analysis here, rather depressing. Do you have, have any hope for the future of Russia? <laughs> Everybody wants to have some hopes. Of course, uh, me too. You see, during this war, I realized what Kazimir Malevich meant with his black square. You see, an artist has the feeling for the future. And in his future mm -hmm. was the First World War, the bloodiest civil war, and the Gulag. Russia now is this black square. I have a lot of hopes for Ukraine. I have not so much hopes for for Russia. But you see, of course, I, I understand people want to listen to Russian experts explaining to them everything will be okay. It will not be okay. Who promised that everything would be okay? Russian history is not a Hollywood movie. In, in Hollywood movie, they you see, change the bad ending, like Nana Karenin, into a good ending. Who will change the bad ending in Russia? The problem is that there will be no bad ending. In history, we don't have ending. And my friend, a very well-known Russian uh, writer, he is well-known in the West, he told me, Misha, what are you doing? People want to have hopes. They want to listen to you saying something optimistic. It's your mistake. You must end your readings in the following way. And so he showed me how should I end. He said, you must say the following. Russia is a country of wonders, of magics. And so let's hope that another wonder will happen. So are you, are you happy with this um, optimistic ending? Well, that, that for, for Russian, that is very optimistic, the way you put that. You've been against, I think, on record somewhere else, um, a kind of land for peace deal in Ukraine. You want to see the Ukrainians victorious. And you've called those, some people who want um, the settlement as, as corrupt. Do you really think that people who want to compromise peace are morally tainted somehow? You mean which people, here in the West? Or? Both, well, here in the West, yes. You see, it was a huge problem here in Switzerland. 
one year ago, when this invasion started, the first thing our Bundesrat said, no, no, we are neutral. We will not support sanctions. I was so furious. And uh, next day it was Arena, it was a main TV, political TV show. And I explained to them, it's impossible, dear Swiss, it's impossible to be neutral. The epoch of neutrality has gone. And the next day, Bundesrat said, yeah, we will support <laughs> actions. I don't think it's because of me, but also Russians say my five copics just influenced the, this decision. And now Swiss Bundesrat, they don't want to support Ukraine with weapons. Just, you know this, yeah? I was so much disappointed. I told to a lot of Swiss people, they're very much disappointed too, because neutrality, you see, if you are neutral now, if you want just peace in Ukraine, yeah? And you say, no, 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 no weapon. Yeah, we have to negotiate peace with Putin. It means you, you support the war. And the only way to end this war as soon as possible is to get Ukrainian army as much weapons as possible. Well, thank you so much, Mikhail. Thanks to our audience and to Intelligence Square. Thank you very much. Thank you. What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world, and whatever you're doing, right now you're also listening to my voice. This is the power of podcasts. The ability to communicate with your audience in an intimate and intentional way through audio. I'm B. Duncan, Senior Partnerships Producer at Intelligence Squared. We've been a world-leading forum for talks, debates and events for over two decades. And we also use our cutting-edge curation, creativity and editorial expertise to elevate your brand to new audiences with podcasting. Intrigued? To find out what we can do for your organisation, book into a free consultation with me today. Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships. Thank you.